0: We may not have won this campaign, but that does not mean that we were wrong. Are you sure? Are you sure you didn't win that campaign? Are you sure you're not wrong now? Well I don't know why I came here tonight? That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oh man. Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you mm-hmm. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you Buckle up from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is, is The broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN And Eureka's KGOE In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ uh, where am I here? Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. We'll talk about you, Pennsylvania, today. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. As noted, we will be talking about Pennsylvania uh, shortly and... Well, just some amazing stuff, an amazing follow up to a, a program we did a few weeks ago when the uh, a group of citizens in Pennsylvania had petitioned the state to re-examine one of the brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that are set for use in Philadelphia. In the key swing state of Pennsylvania for next year's critical 2020 presidential election, the citizens got their reexamination from the state. We now have the results and it may blow your mind. But before we blow your mind with that, uh, hey, it was Election Day on Tuesday in North Carolina, so we've got results Reported results anyway Reported results that you may or may not like But not for the reasons that you think you may or may not like them Desi Doyen, I got some information shortly before the show That you don't even know about yet Oh That has forced me to scrap everything I had planned for the opening segment on this And take another direction entirely
1: Okie dokie then
0: Are you ready? Yeah Okay Uh, Well, now, both of these elections on Tuesday were special elections for the U.S. House of Representatives to fill the only two currently vacant seats in the U.S. House, though each are different are vacant for different reasons. Uh, In one, we'll start with the easy one here, because, as I said, the second one may blow your mind, but uh, and I might be exclusive here to the Brad uh, cast today. All right. The easy one. North Carolina's third congressional district. That seat is vacant because longtime Republican incumbent Walter Jones passed away earlier this year. And so the election on Tuesday in NC3 was to fill his seat, which he has held for years and years and years. And I think his father held it before him. It was expected to go Republican in a very Republican district that runs all the way along the coastline of North Carolina. And reportedly it did go Republican as expected, with Greg Murphy, the Republican there, defeating the Democrat Alan Thompson in a big way, 62% to about 37%. So big numbers there, about a 25% victory margin for uh, for Greg Murphy, the Republican in that race, no one really thought it was going to go any uh, any differently than it did. There was questions about whether Hurricane Dorian might have had some adverse effect one way or another on the race since the 3rd District runs all the way down the storm-battered coastline. But so far, anyway, those are the reported results of that race. Now, North Carolina runs mostly on hand-marked paper ballots that can actually be verified after the election, though the usual caveat here that these results are based on optical uh, scan computers that tally those hand-marked paper ballots They are not checked by human beings at this point and probably ever. So whatever the computers say, we are reporting to you here. And right now uh, it was a big victory for the Republican in the North Carolina 3rd Congressional District, according to those computers. Okay, now we move to the more interesting race and, frankly, maybe more troubling race based on, uh, well, some of this information I've received Uh, Let's start with just the raw numbers of what we have here. This was North Carolina's 9th congressional district, and the reason this seat was vacant is because it was a do-over election. Last November, there was a massive Republican absentee ballot election fraud scandal that was uncovered. There are now uh, seven indictments in that case, a a uh, Republican, a GOP contractor who was hired by the Republican candidate in the race last November in the 9th District. A uh, Baptist preacher by the name of Mark Harris um, had hired this guy who had a checkered past, to say the least. And this guy carried out a massive uh, absentee ballot fraud scandal in favor of the Republican candidate. Now, this in that race in November, the Republican Mark Harris ended up beating the Democratic candidate Dan McCready by just 905 votes, according to the computer tallies. But that uh, victory, that 900 vote, very slim margin victory was never certified because the state board of elections uncovered this absentee ballot scandal. And instead of disqualifying Mark Harris and giving the race to the Democrat Dan McCready. They called for a new election. That new election finally happened on Tuesday with a new and even Trumpier Republican, a guy by the name of Dan Bishop, a state senator, taking the place of the now disgraced uh, Baptist preacher Mark Harris. So Dan Bishop was running against Dan McCready. It was a Dan versus Dan race and it was thought to be very tight, particularly after what happened last November. So tight in fact, that the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States showed up in North Carolina on Monday for rallies uh, on the behalf of Dan Bishop. Uh, who did I mention? He was very Trumpy. Yes, he's very Trumpy, and uh, he's
2: exceedingly Trumpy. But
0: there was a concern that he would lose because the polls were sort of neck and neck here, and uh, this was the race itself was seen as a bellwether for 2020, seen as a referendum for the president. Even though this district, uh, the North Carolina ninth district, went to Donald Trump by 12 points in 2016. And uh, in 2016, it also went to the the incumbent, to the then incumbent uh, congressman by 16 points. So this, too, should have been an easy victory for Republicans, but it apparently was not. In that blue wave election last November, they had to uh, employ a guy to carry out election fraud on their behalf. And even then, they were only able to win by 905 votes. So it was thought... That the Democrat may be able to pull this one off on Tuesday night. Well, according to the results, the Democrat Dan McCready was not able to pull this off. Dan Bishop appears uh, reportedly, according to the state board of elections tallies at this hour, to have won. Ninety Some 96,000 votes to a little bit over 92,000 votes, so about a 4,000-point gap. That equates to just over 2% margin of victory for the Republican. Now, I pointed out last night on Twitter that with uh, Bishop being called as the winner over Dan McCready in these unofficial results not actually verified by human beings— being the winner there by just over a bit over 2%, that the best news, perhaps, for Dan Bishop, the Republican, is that the county in the 9th District with the largest vote share, county by the name of Mecklenburg, uh, uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So there would be no recount possible there, even if the Democrat wanted one. Mind you, this Democrat conceded very quickly last November After the election, that was ultimately thrown out. And uh, Dan McCready uh, once again could not wait to apparently uh, to to concede on Tuesday night after the results came in, even though those results were verified by no one and completely unverifiable in a huge chunk of the race in uh, in Mecklenburg. So that alone was troubling. And I pointed that out on Twitter last night and it freaked people out and made them angry that it was uh, impossible to recount thousands of votes in that one county in the district. But then today, uh, just before air, it got a little bit weirder. And I uh, shared this in a blog item at Bradblog.com so you can see both the screenshots and the video in this case. I uh, shared it because I want to get it out there right now in case anyone has additional information about what may have happened. And my caveat here is that there could be a perfectly reasonable explanation for something like this, like a typo, a transcription error, a bad data, a non-nefarious bad data transfer anywhere along the way. From the, you know, from the voting booth to the county headquarters to the State Board of Elections, out to the media, which reports vote counts as they come rolling in. So there could be a reason we have seen things like this happen before and there have been uh, explanations for them. Given the focus that has been on this race, on the 9th Congressional District race, uh, not just because of the fraud scandal last November, but because... Donald Trump went all in for this guy. It really was believed that the Democrat had a very serious chance of winning. Some of the polls put Dan McCready up over Dan Bishop as we were uh, getting close to Election Day. And Donald Trump, for his part, did, you know, say that this was a referendum on him, even while other Republicans were saying, no, it's not a referendum on him. And they were hedging their bets saying, oh, you know, it's a swing district. Who knows which way it'll go? Well, it's not really a swing district. Again, Trump won it by 12 in 2016. The uh, House incumbent who held it back in 2016 won it by 16 points. There has been no Democrat in that U.S. House seat since, uh, since JFK was in the White House, since the 1960s.
2: Yeah, so not a swing district not like swing the Republicans district. wanted no. people to think. No,
0: uh, but... They were, in fact, very concerned about losing this race, so much so that the president and the vice president showed up the night before the election. So here's the numbers that are noteworthy. We'll just say they're noteworthy tonight in this particular race. I was sent this uh, via video uh, today, as I mentioned Now, Dan McCready, the Democratic Dan, was leading for much of the early vote counting as it was coming in, Uh, leading fairly substantially, in fact. But you know what? It really doesn't matter if he's leading at one point and then losing at another point. This all is dependent on which results are coming in first to, in this case, the state board of elections, which is then reporting them out, which is then being picked up by the media and reported ...on on the TV machine. In this case, it was during Rachel Maddow's show on MSNBC. I've got the screenshots at Bradblog.com, which show that with uh, 52% of the results in, uh, Dan McCready, the Democrat, was leading Dan Bishop, the Republican, by 69,280 votes to 67,295 votes. So it was pretty close, but he was up by a couple of thousand votes with 52% of the votes in. Then, just a few minutes later, and you can see the video as well of this flip happening during the Rachel Maddow show at the bottom of her screen. Suddenly, there's 55% of the vote in, and uh, where Dan McCready had more than 69,000 votes previously, suddenly he had only 65,000 votes
2: So it dropped.
0: He lost a little bit more than 3000 votes
2: in that tally
0: in that tally when more votes were counted rather than less votes were counted. In other words, his numbers should be going up. Not down.
2: Not backwards. Not
0: backwards.
2: Vote count should not go backwards. Again, no. there could be typos. There could be all there kinds could be of some reason. pa- plausible reasons, yes. but his vote count actually went
0: backwards. It went backwards. By the way, so did Dan Bishop. So, M- McCready lost a little bit more than 3,000 votes in this flip. Uh, Dan Bishop, the Republican, lost a little bit more than 1,000 votes. But in the bargain, McCready's nearly 2,000-vote lead over Bishop dropped to a 720-vote deficit in that moment, as more votes came in, as both candidates somehow lost votes even though more votes came in. So that's an an unexplained nearly 3,000-vote swing in that election by the time you uh, figure out the math here. And with all precincts now said to be tallied, again, by computers only, not by humans, that total of about four, thousand votes seemed to have stayed in place for the rest of the night. Uh, in, and through the, uh, you know, the the hundred percent in. So why would the votes go backwards between fifty two percent and fifty five percent? I don't know. Normally in a case like that, I would uh, try to contact the State Board of Elections and see if they had any idea or even MSNBC. This could be a, a problem on their end. They may just have typed in the numbers somehow wrong onto their little Chiron at the bottom of the screen. So, again, there could be a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. But while there was a lot of, you know, political hand-wringing going on out there, Donald Trump is out there trumpeting the victory as uh, saying, claiming uh, falsely, I think, for a change. Oh, Dan Bishop was going to lose by seven points until I showed up and uh, he, you know, gave him the victory. You also have, you know, uh, uh, Democrats out there like McCready uh, saying, hey, we gave it a good fight. We did our best just as he did last November when it turned out he did not really lose at all that the absentee ballot election fraud scandal included collecting and changing votes. You know, uh, nonetheless, McCready went out and conceded, and he did the same again on Tuesday night. Almost inexplicably, instead of saying, "You know what? Let it, Why don't we count these ballots first, just to make sure that this time we actually lost the election? Let's make sure there are no questions or anomalies about any of this. We can't do anything whatsoever." With the tens of thousands of votes in Mecklenburg to check those votes
2: on machines
0: that are on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. But the rest of the race we could try to look at. But he didn't. And now we have this anomaly. This. Well, it's an anomaly. It could be nefarious. It could be non nefarious. I don't know. But again, you can look at the screenshots and and the video of their results going backwards the more precincts that were counted.
2: And it's such a shame that McCrady actually conceded so quickly without even bothering to check to see if there was another criminal GOP absentee ballot fraud scheme going on again.
0: They always do. They always do. Especially the Democrats. They cannot wait to concede. Uh, And frankly, it's not just a shame. I think it's disrespectful to the voters. You know, can we please count all the goddamn votes before you run to the cameras to concede? Can you please make sure that the results are accurate this time? Is that too much to ask? Apparently it is. And so uh, we will see. We'll do our best to uh, follow this. If you have any more information, if you're listening in North Carolina, uh, I did check with some folks in North Carolina. They did say, yeah, I saw some sort of a blip there last night. I'm not sure what to make of it. Looking into it now, uh, maybe we'll find more information about all of this in the days ahead. But I wanted to get it out there. You can share the uh, specific item at bradblog.com but it you know it is this sort of thing that makes me absolutely crazy when i see jurisdictions around the country moving to even more opaque and unverifiable voting systems that the public cannot oversee We cannot oversee the tallies or even verify that the votes being counted actually reflect the intent of the voters. That is now the case with the new voting systems being installed, for example, here in Los Angeles County, the nation's largest voting jurisdiction. We're getting touchscreen votes here, voting here in states like Georgia. In states like, yes, North Carolina, they are also getting new unverifiable touchscreen systems, all of all of which we've been covering in great detail in weeks and months and years here on the broadcast, if uh, very few other places. They're also coming to Texas, Ohio, New Jersey, Delaware, Kansas, and yes, the key battleground state of Pennsylvania, where citizens have been trying to prevent the new 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems from being deployed. In the state's largest city of Philadelphia. And after a citizen petition recently, the state agreed to re examine those unverifiable, new unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Well, uh, we've got the results of that re examination, and they may blow your mind as they blew my mind today, which is getting blown a bit too frequently these days. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with. Um, one of the citizens, the a technology and voting systems expert who uh, led on this citizen petition, Kevin Scoglin joins me next for that maddening story here on the broadcast. I told you to buckle up. Stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman. I love you, Philadelphia. I love you, Pennsylvania. But, uh, boy, are your elections a mess. Uh, Well, you know, kind of along with the other 49 states. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Pennsylvania's acting secretary of state. They call it... The Secretary of the Commonwealth in Pennsylvania, Kathy Buchvar, quietly announced last week that her office has completed a mandatory reexamination of the ESNS Express Vote XL Electronic Voting Machines following a citizen petition on behalf of registered electors of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, who had charged that the new voting systems, the new unverifiable computer touchscreen ballot marking devices that were recently certified by the state for use in the upcoming critical presidential elections in the key battleground state, Failed to meet election standards set forth by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania itself. The petition from the Citizen Election Integrity Advocates listed 10 specific legal deficiencies in the new systems, which forces a voter to use a touchscreen computer, which then, if all goes well, prints the voter's selections onto a piece of paper, which is then supposedly verified by the voter and tallied by a separate optical scan computer once that ballot sort of slides back into the system, into the machine, over the same printer heads that printed it the first time. Many cybersecurity activists describe such systems as very expensive electric pencils, since they do what humans could do themselves with a pen or pencil on a hand-marked paper ballot. But the systems, these computer systems, cost anywhere from two to three times as much as a hand-marked paper ballot system and limit the number of voters that can vote at any one time in a precinct. One longtime election transparency expert, our friend John Brakey from Tucson, Arizona, compares such systems to cutting an apple pie with a chainsaw. Moreover, and the even bigger problem that, as I see it with these systems, is that they produce 100% unverifiable results after the election is over. Since nobody can know if any voter verified that computer-marked paper ballot at all, much less did so correctly. Studies show that the majority of voters do not check computer printouts and that of those who do, the majority do not notice changes to their ballots made by the computer. These are just some of the reasons that the election integrity advocates in Pennsylvania had asked for. And now we have learned have apparently received, albeit in secret, a reevaluation of the new electronic systems that were recently approved for use in the Keystone State. Following Secretary Bookvar's reexamination results, of the ExpressVote XL, national election security experts issued a press release condemning the secretary's secret reevaluation and apparently re-approval of these voting systems, slamming the secretary's office for lack of public transparency and for failing to uphold to uphold the state's election standards. Susan Greenhall, the vice president uh, for programs at the National Election Defense Coalition, said, quote, We are profoundly disappointed that the secretary's office has conducted this reexamination in secret without transparency or public engagement. Ron Fine, the legal director of Free Speech for People, said the ExpressVote XL should not have been certified in the first place Because it doesn't comply with state law designed to protect voters and the election itself, he went on to say, We are deeply disappointed that the secretary is allowing this unreliable, insecure and illegal electronic voting machine to continue to be used when Pennsylvania counties have a more reliable and secure option. That cost taxpayers much less money. Several other groups, including Protect Our Vote Philly and the Pennsylvania-based Citizens for Better Elections, joined in criticizing the State Department. Our old friend Mary Beth Kuznick, one of the petitioners and the founder of Vote PA. She has been on this show innumerable times over the years. She said, according to the P.A. Post, that, quote, they never refused to let the public come in and observe these systems in the past. Kuznick has worked as an election judge and has observed more than 20 voting machine examinations and reexaminations over the past several decades. She said it's not in the statute that proceedings have to be in public, but it's always been the department's policy. The audience generally consists of election directors and advocacy groups, but anyone can attend, she said. Normally, the state brings in vendors to Harrisburg to address matters involving proprietary or otherwise confidential information prior to the public session, but never an all-private session as we saw this time, apparently. Uh, here, there was no public access whatsoever to any of these proceedings, and reportedly they were done in an entirely different state. Department of State spokesperson Wanda Murren said to the PA Post that enough of the reexamination related to security testing that is not open to the public to warrant conducting the reexamination is, was done offsite at the examiner's laboratory in Colorado with Department of State staff present. Petitioners have disputed that characterization of most objects as being related to security in their petition. The department's report also stated that some of the 10 issues that the petitioners raised were actually legal issues that were not covered by the reexamination process. So only three of their ob- objections were actually looked at. Just three out of 10. The department concluded in its report that the system, you'll be happy to know, can, after all, be safely used by voters. Provided it is implemented under proper conditions. In an email to the Post, a spokesperson for ES&S, the nation's largest voting machine company, who makes these systems, said ES&S is pleased with the outcome and the certification in Pennsylvania. We believe wholeheartedly, they say, in the security, accuracy and reliability of the ExpressVote XL system. Kevin Skoglund, however, the chief technologist of Pennsylvania's Citizens for Better Elections, said, quote, It is disappointing that Secretary Bookvar decided not to be fully transparent or take our petition seriously. Every petition for reexamination, he said, since 1980 has included a demonstration where the public and petitioners were invited this very well may have been the first top-secret examination of a voting system in the history of Pennsylvania. Scoglin said it is also surprising that Secretary Bookvar decided to completely ignore many of the ways that the Express Vote XL violates the elections code. Now, these 100% unverifiable touchscreen computer systems, unless they are somehow blocked are now currently planned for use in Philadelphia next year in the presidential election, as well as a a number of other counties in the state. But Philadelphia is the largest city in the state, and uh, the state reportedly, as you remember, flipped to the Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump in 2016 over the Democrat Hillary Clinton for the first time in decades. I say reportedly, Again here concerning 2016, since much of the state uses older 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems which the Democratic governor has now called on jurisdictions to replace with newer systems. newer systems apparently like the 100% unverifiable express ESNS Express vote XL. That's a system that is similar to or identical to uh, new unverifiable systems also being deployed in states like North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Ohio, Kansas, Delaware, New Jersey. And yes, even right here in my own home county of Los Angeles, the nation's most populous voting jurisdiction. All of this before the critical 2020 presidential election. Joining us now to explain what the hell happened in Pennsylvania or what we know of what happened in Pennsylvania is Kevin Scogland, the uh, of Citizens for Better Elections in Pennsylvania and Protect Our Vote Philly. He has extensive experience in software development, cybersecurity and election systems. He's a technical advisor to the National Election Defense Coalition. He serves on the Cybersecurity Working Group for the National Institute of Standards and Technology in a group that advises the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, or EAC. Kevin Scoglin, welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Boy, this is troubling again. um, (laughs) Looking at uh, this secret study that was done for some reason, I don't really understand that. Um, It's unbelievable. I I know that uh, your group has put out uh, statements of serious concern about this entire process. Among those concerns is the secretive nature of this this was done off-site in a different state apparently by a company which and I'm going to be uh, try to be nice here because this is a family show a company that is very close to the voting system vendors election security documentarian Lulu uh, Freistadt pointed out this week that you know the vendors and the companies that test them, Work closely together because the vendors actually pay those companies for many of these security tests. So they're actually clients of those companies. Do you share concerns simply about that setup uh, in the first place of these of this test? i do.
1: I, I think that's definitely a concern. I think on on top of that, this is the same company that did the initial examination. So we're asking the people who gave the opinion the first time to give their opinion again. It doesn't really make sense. It's not a A second opinion like you might get from a doctor
0: and of course uh because they're frequently employed by these companies i don't think it would do uh the security company any good to give bad marks to the vendors that employ them why was this testing done as far as you know in a completely different state kevin
1: Uh, i don't know why Um, that's a big mystery they haven't really communicated with us uh since i was on the broadcast the last time Um, They went weeks without telling us what was going on no notice and all of a sudden we get this report saying that this has already happened that they had took place in Colorado as a secret partial examination and uh, that's really the only explanation they've given us
0: this is kind of incredible i know that there was concerns uh, the uh, Jill Stein campaign from 2016 the uh, the green party candidate she had actually tried to get some sort of forensic examination of the voting systems in Pennsylvania. She was stopped, but they had a, a, some sort of settlement that if there were examinations of Pennsylvania voting systems in the future, they would be invited uh, to oversee the process. Well, there were examinations of uh, Pennsylvania voting systems in the future but they were not done in Pennsylvania and this has reportedly excluded the, the Jill Stein folks from being able to oversee this process as well uh, do you know anything about that? Could that have been part of the reason this was done off-site?
1: Yeah, they did exclude them. They did not have any additional information either. They did not give them any communication and in the Stein settlement there's actually a clause that says that they're allowed to attend any on-site examination. So that could very well be the reason why they held an off-site win in Colorado. The,
0: the uh, Department of State then went on to look at only, uh, I think, three or four of the uh, of the ten issues that you had in your initial petition. The reasons why you were asking for this re-examination, stating that the uh, the other seven. Uh, that were included in the petition are, quote, legal arguments which do not apply to re-examination or certification. Uh, your response to that, Kevin Scoglin?
1: That is it's an absurd position for them to take. I mean, here we are telling them this voting machine has 10 legal problems. There are 10 things that you need to look at. And they decided that they would only look at three, and the other ones they're just not going to worry about. So that that puts counties in a really tough position because now, they're going to be spending millions of dollars buying brand new voting machines, but those voting machines might have seven reasons why they're illegal to use.
0: I, which is just mind blow. I mean basically, were they saying that well we will look at the technical issues of these machines, but as far as the legal matters, we will leave that to a to a different jurisdiction somehow. Is that the general thinking as far as you can understand it here?
1: It seems like they decided that they wanted to narrow the scope of their investigation as much as they could so that they really could, you know, have it pass on these three criteria that they selected and not have to, you know, consider any of the others. But it was simply a matter of trying to narrow the scope.
0: And, and then let's look at some of those things that they actually did look at that I guess we know about because they put out a, a re-examination report, uh, which, by the way, I found to be a kind of terse. I mean, it would just make certain claims. For example, the security specialist tried to penetrate the system using the system access points and ports, and was unsuccessful. So I guess we're talking about uh, USB ports and other ways that a bad guy may try to manipulate the system. They seem to explain, well, the the examiners tried to do so, couldn't do so, and all is well. Is that kind of some of the reading that uh, you had of this this report?
1: It is, but Brad, this was only a two-day examination, and the lab that's doing this is not... uh, experienced in cybersecurity penetration testing. This is a voting system test lab that tests for the functionality of voting machines. So to give them a two-day window with little experience and say, can you hack into this machine, of course they can't.
0: Well, you're a, a technologist, a cybersecurity expert. Is there a sort of a different group of people who would, who would test the functionality just to see if something works and doesn't versus those who are skilled in knowing how to uh, exploit these various things, these various uh, weaknesses, ports, et cetera, uh, that are available? Is this sort of uh, two separate pools of, of, of examiners who you'd turn to?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, these things re- are very technical in nature, and they require specialists. So, I mean, corporations hire people who do penetration testing all the time. These are people who are experts at trying to break into systems, and they know what all the vulnerabilities are. They have a a library of tips and tricks that they can use to, uh, to try and get in there and see if they work. If you don't know that, if you don't have that experience, then you're just fumbling around in the dark, hoping to get lucky.
0: And I got to tell you, the uh, you know, it, it, a lot of this reminds me of what's going on out here in Los Angeles County. And I know that you're more than busy w- with trying to save Philadelphia. But out here, we, we're installing similar systems for the 2020 presidential election. And one of the sort of legendary penetration testers of, of voting systems, Harry Hursty, our old friend, has said that he would volunteer. He would be happy to help out Los Angeles and test their new systems. I don't know if you saw any of this conversation that was ongoing for a while a week or so ago on twitter as we were trying to encourage the uh the county clerk out here uh dean logan to take up harry uh, hursty on his offer to come in and look at his machines dean logan the county clerk out here seems to want nothing to do with harry hursty seems to want nothing to do with penetration testing and i get the same i get the feeling that the same thing is going on out there in Pennsylvania. Was there any sort of pen, uh, uh, penetration tests done with the original uh, certification of the Express Vote XL out there?
1: We don't know. We don't know if this same lab was in charge of doing testing before or if there mm-hmm. was someone else who was brought in. None of that has been disclosed. But I think it is important for all of these voting systems that you try and present them for you know, uh, penetration testing mm-hmm. like this in the same way that our adversaries would so that you're really subjecting it to the same kind of harsh treatment that it might get in the real world
0: you've cited uh... at least three concerns from the report uh... that that came out from the secretary of the commonwealth in pennsylvania uh... from their re-examination i'd like to quickly run through about three of them here uh, regarding the the ballot cards the these are the paper ballot summaries that are printed out by the system and sort of presented to the voter for review before the ballots are actually cast and and counted tabulated by another optical scanner the uh, ballot cards you write travel past the printer head a second time explain that concern kevin
1: it's the craziest thing so this this voting machine prints the information that you've selected on the screen onto a piece of paper and then it presents it for your review and then if you decide that it's acceptable that piece of paper travels through a printer again before it's stored. So if you had a voting machine that was malfunctioning or was manipulated or hacked, it could change that paper record before it gets stored.
0: And what did the testers find about that? Are are you wrong? Does the paper not go back through the same path where the printer heads could change the vote after the voter has already approved it?
1: No, they 100% confirmed it. They said that that is absolutely what happens, that it does pass the printer again. But they decided that they were not worried about it because they couldn't figure out how to break into the system to trigger that behavior. Therefore, it wasn't It wasn't something they felt they needed
0: to address. (laughs) From the actual report, it says, During the examination of the system, it was observed that the location of the print head after the initial print allows the vote summary record to pass to the collection bin without making contact with the print head again during the vote summary record deposit process so they they say that the paper does not i guess well that it passes by the print head but that the paper doesn't come in contact with the print head but
1: yeah what they're saying is that the (laughs) printer is in a raised state at that point it's on a a software-controlled solenoid and so the the print head has been raised up and that's why it's not a concern even though software could lower that print head in order for it to print again right that's that's their argument.
0: So they, they, they don't say it can't happen. They just say it didn't happen when they ran it as it was designed. That's right. But a hacker could change that, and as far as you're concerned, Kevin, could actually change votes without the voter ever knowing it?
1: That's right, and it's, it's a critical thing. A critical part of election integrity is this idea of software independence. And software independence is a weird word. It doesn't mean that we're doing something without software. What it means is that if there was a change to the software it could not make an undetectable change to the election results the election results any change to the software would make a detectable change and this is a potentially a change to the information to the evidence of the election that would be undetectable.
0: Well, they, they disagree with you, Kevin. Uh, they said it would be detectable, <laughs> and here's why. The examiners, this is from the actual report, the examiners also carefully evaluated the voting process to identify any distinct cues during the printing process and observed that the printing process was audible and thus detectable. They write hence, a successful attempt to activate the printer to print on the vote summary record after the voter verifies his or her selections, would be heard. In other words, they're counting on someone listening to the printer head working after the cast vote button has been pressed in a busy precinct on Election Day with hundreds of people in there that they would hear the printer and that this would raise some sort of alarm? Am I understanding that correctly, Kevin?
1: You are. and it, it Trust the, the voter to, to detect it. And the voters never used this machine before, or if they have, they've used it maybe once or twice a year. So they don't know what to expect, and they're not necessarily on the lookout for that behavior. And even if they do hear it, right. what do they do then? Do they go tell the <laughs> poll worker, and the poll worker says, you must be crazy, you're hearing things? I mean, there's no way to report that and have any action be taken.
0: And, and you know, when I point this out, and I'm sure people are listening to this show as they do every day, uh, listening to the broadcast with their head exploding, saying there must be something wrong. Brad has got this wrong. Kevin doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a kook. Nobody's ever heard of him. These people are are out of their mind. These things are actually real and true, as you know. we've seen, for example, in Georgia now. They have finally found the uh, touchscreen systems they use there to be unconstitutional and hackable. All the things we've been talking about for so many years, Kevin. And the very same system that you can see if you go to the uh, Los Angeles County website, uh, they, ha- they have a different type of—it's uh, uh, made by a different company— But it has the same problem. The paper is printed out, it's reviewed by the voter, and then it goes back through the same path where it could be changed or printed again and the voter would have no idea. In Pennsylvania, you have another concern about this report. You note that uh, ballot cards, once they do go back into the machine after being reviewed by the voter and hopefully not reprinted, that the ballot cards are then stored in chronological order. What is the concern about that?
1: The concern is that if you store the ballots in perfect chronological order, and you also have a list of the voters who've checked in that is an ordered list of voters as they check in, Mm -hmm. then you can cross-reference that list with those ballots to know how every voter voted. Or maybe even not every voter. Maybe you just look at the first one or the last one in the pile. Uh It makes it possible to violate the ballot secrecy of those voters.
0: And that is one of the reasons why in Pennsylvania, by the way, where they've used touchscreens for many, many years, uh, they disallowed touchscreens that uh, printed out the so-called voter-verified paper audit trail. So they were you know, completely paperless touchscreens that have been used for uh, many years in Pennsylvania. If they blocked them then as unconstitutional, if they had that, that printout, what changed? Why are they being allowed to use that system now that would, as you described, violate the uh, potentially violate the, the, the voters' uh, secret ballot?
1: That was the big question that I had at the beginning of this. Um, there's a long history and lots of documentation of the Department of State saying that they would not accept systems that printed votes in perfect chronological order onto spooled records. So, why is this any different? And we, we raised that issue in our petition to them. They took a look at it and they said, it's okay, we agree with you that it is, that these are in perfect chronological order, we agree that it violates ballot secrecy, but we're going to add a procedure to this that says that when those ballot boxes, that mm-hmm. they're going to be sealed first of all, so that no one can look at them, right. we'll take them back to headquarters, we'll open them in the presence of the Board of Elections, and you'll mix them.
0: <laughs> so, you'll, you'll shuffle them, and therefore... You'll shuffle
1: them. Somehow. They don't really tell you how. They call it commingling. You'll commingle the the ballots. This is ridiculous. I mean, first of all, a procedure like this might not take place. There's no guarantee. And if it doesn't take place, then you violated ballot secrecy. You have that same problem there. But it also adds a real burden on all the counties because now they have to have their board of elections present on election night when they open up the ballot boxes. And that's not always the case.
0: And by the way, it doesn't prevent the Board of Elections themselves from violating the voters' privacy if the Board of Elections should so choose, right? That's correct. That is correct. One other problem uh, that uh, you cite uh, before we get to uh, the question about where the hell this goes next. If, if the voter needs to spoil a ballot, if it's printed out and it says, wait a minute, I've changed my mind, or wait a minute, the computer has printed uh, selected someone who i didn't select and they need to spoil the ballot this happens you know even with hand marked paper ballots you mark in oh i didn't mean to vote for that person you take it back the the ballot gets torn up you're given a new one but with these machines if a voter wishes to spoil a ballot what's the process that uh, concerns you there
1: well the problem is that this machine unlike any other locks the ballot that it's printing into a, a box And so you can't touch it. It's there waiting for you to approve it, but you cannot actually physically put your hands on that piece of paper. You can't pick it up and bring it closer to your face, and you can't decide to take it and spoil it. Instead, you have to choose on the screen that you want to cancel the process. And at that point, it starts chiming to alert a poll worker that they need to come over. And the screen has a message on it that tells the voter that they need to just sit tight and wait. Mm -hmm. And the poll worker then has to come into the voting booth and enter a password on the screen to unlock that ballot. And then they have to retrieve it from that locked box Uh and either give it to the voter or take it back to be spoiled. And in that process, the whole time they're in the voting booth with you, that ballot is sitting right there where they can see it. (laughs) And when they go to pick it up and pull it out of the box, they're looking right at the ballot. They're seeing exactly who you were going to vote for.
0: So, once again, spoiling the uh, secret ballot, the uh, voters' privacy in such a case. That's right. And the
1: Department of State agreed with us. They looked at it and they said, yeah, you're right. It does. Oh. But rather than get rid of this voting machine that does this, we're going to add more procedures. And this one is is the one that blows my mind.
0: A blindfold. Is a blindfold included here (sighs) in this one, Kevin?
1: It's poll worker training. (laughs) That's it. They're going to tell people not to look. That's (laughs) it. They're going to tell people don't look. I mean... Why not just write names on the ballots and tell people not to look at it?
0: This is just absolutely mind-blowing. And add all of this to my major concern with all of these systems, whether it's in Pennsylvania, uh, made by ES&S, whether it's in Georgia, made by Dominion is the new uh, company who's making these similar systems, whether it's out here in Los Angeles, a company by the name of Smartmatic. All of these systems after an election, Kevin, we can Cannot know, the public cannot know if even one vote that was cast on them. One ballot that was printed out by the computer actually reflects the intent of the voter because we don't know if they verified it. We don't know if they verified it correctly. Do you share that concern? Because to me, that's kind of the bottom line. And, you know, we look at what, you know, some of the concerns we talked about earlier in the show concerning the North Carolina election on Tuesday night in the 9th Congressional District, where we've got some anomalies with the numbers and, and because they use similar, you know, touchscreen, un- uh, unverifiable touchscreens, we don't know if those ballots actually reflect the intent of the voter or not. This is my huge concern. Do you share it?
1: I do. I do. I mean, this, that's not, you know, specifically in our petition. The petition was the things that violate the election code. Mm-hmm. But we have a long list of concerns here, and and there's a, a lot of reasons why this is a bad choice. Um, I think that the, simply the fact this is an elaborate contraption that can fail to work, and that would simply prevent voters from voting at all, mm-hmm. or that it could cause longer lines, or that we're not actually capturing voters' real intent. That we're not getting a ballot that reflects the will of the voters.
0: Or if we do, we can't know that we did. I mean, that's like that seems to me a problem that nothing, uh, no matter what you know, you change in the procedures or anything else, that seems like a simply unsolvable problem. To head into the critical 2020 presidential elections with uh, with all of these new machines being approved by Democrats and Republicans alike, by the way, all over the country. Uh, Kevin Scoglin, before I let you go, what what now? What's next? These machines, you've got them re-examined. They were approved a second time for Pennsylvania. They're going to be used in in Philadelphia, Northampton County, uh, Cumberland, I think. Uh, is, is that it? Is this the end of the road, or is there any way to stop this and, and get us to hand-marked, verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots in Pennsylvania?
1: Far, far from it. We're, we're definitely not giving up. We are not done contesting the certification of this machine. I think that it's clear from their re-examination that the three points that we raised as issues, they validated. They said, yes, these are three are all issues, and their solutions for them are inadequate. And for the things they didn't examine at all, those still remain issues. So I think those have to be litigated. I think we have to go through and figure out whether this machine complies with the election code and can be safely used by Pennsylvania's voters. And I don't think it can.
0: So a lawsuit is coming, it sounds like.
1: Well, We're weighing our options right now.
0: Okay. Well, I hope you will join us when that lawsuit comes uh, and as this story moves forward, because it is kind of mind-blowing, along, by the way, with much of your other work in this this field, Kevin. We had Kim Zetter on a few weeks ago to talk about your uh, discovery with a group of folks that uh, there are voting systems all over the country that are just sitting there on the Internet, uh, and have been for years, even while the companies and the election officials say our voting systems are never on the internet. Turns out they are, as you helpfully discovered, Kevin. Keep up the good work, my friend, and uh, we will talk to you more about this in the future. You can find Citizens for Better Elections. Follow them on uh, the Twitters at CB Elections. You can follow Protect Our Vote Philly at POV Philly on uh the twitters anywhere else uh, i should point folks kevin
1: no that's great thank you brad i really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you and uh thank you for staying on top
0: of this thank you brother kevin scoglin chief technologist for citizens for better elections the non-partisan group advocating for resilient evidence-based elections in pennsylvania wouldn't that be nice thanks kevin thank you brad Okay, quick break, and yeah, I know we're running very late today. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, yeah, but especially on days after election. So back with our closing few minutes right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We've got just a minute or so here, but I kind of want to yeah, contrast uh, the first story that we opened uh, this show with today, uh, the questions about those results in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District that had all of that national attention. And yet we are left with uh, voting systems like the one in, in Mecklenburg County, a part of that 9th Congressional District that can never be Checked Can never be overseen because it's a 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system. That's uh, where we are after an election trying to figure out, oh, were the results accurate, which is why it's so important. And on this show, we don't wait until after elections to raise these questions. Hence my conversation with Kevin Skoglin about the new system coming into the state of Pennsylvania.
2: Yes, the time to engage your local election officials is right now. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's not an easy task, but somebody has to do it and only the people on the ground locally can actually say, hey, listen to us, your voters, and what we
0: want. We would like hand-marked paper ballots so that we have a fighting chance of knowing after an election that the winner actually won and the loser actually lost. It's not a guarantee because those are still often uh, tabulated by computers, but at least we have a fighting chance of finding out. In the ninth congressional race in North Carolina, we'll probably never know. But if we learn any more info, again, check out Bradblog.com for that story we broke at the top of this show. We'll see. Hopefully it is nothing. Hopefully I've got it entirely wrong. Hopefully I get to apologize about everything tomorrow on the next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to uh, my guest today, Kevin Skoglin of Pennsylvania's Citizens for Better Elections and Protect Our Votes Philly, to my producer Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where I hope you will, and that you will share it with your friends and family and enemies. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the TheBradBlog. Hope you'll find, follow, and share me there. And finally, we could not do any of this if it weren't for those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support our work, to support what I think is important work, uh, to fight like hell. For our democracy, we don't have uh, commercial sponsors or political sponsors. We have listeners like you at bradblog.com donate. Thank you in advance. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.